Welcome to episode 91 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. I am uh, your recovering host, Jason Collette, joined again by Eno Saris. Eno, what's going on, dude? Uh, let's call it 91B. Yeah, let's call it 91B, C, D, uh, <laughs> to give you a little bit of background. Uh, we recorded this first on Friday, j- January 31st, and discovered that I wasn't recorded. Uh, so the whole podcast, if you if, if you don't like the sound of my voice and you like Eno's better, you would have loved the recording because it didn't record me. And uh, we tried again today, earlier today, and found the same result. And three hours later, I finally was able to figure out that Skype has recently upgraded their software and didn't tell any of their MP3 recorders. So that was – and especially Pamela, which is the one that we use uh, for this now. We were using call graphs, and I thought maybe that was the issue, so let me try Pamela. Uh, but – now it's recording, so we can verify that. So 91B is now being recorded. So before we get into the team previews of the Mariners and the Marlins, which is actually good, there's been some news related to those two teams, or one of those teams at least. Uh, if there's anything that happens between, you know, of general fantasy relevance before, uh, in, in between shows, we will talk about it. Like over the last couple of days, uh, Freddie Freeman and Jason Hayward have signed extensions and Avoiding arbitration it doesn't look like Craig Kimbrell will, uh, so his interesting case keeps moving forward. Sam Full signed a minor league deal with the A's. Have we missed anything else? Um, I mean, those are all very scintillating things. Yeah, they're huge. Um, but it, not that any of those guys were on the trade risk uh, market to begin with. But um, but if anything happens like that, we will definitely talk about it before we get to the team previews. That way, if you don't care about the Marlins and Mariners, you just don't shut it off. But we will be talking about things. And we also – some of the feedback we got last time, you guys said if anybody was uh, usable in the Otteno format to make sure that we – discuss that and I'm going to leave that up to Eno because he plays that format I don't uh, so we will make sure we take care of that and uh, somebody had a note about saying how much we agree on a lot of stuff that's going to be natural because we're both of this you know Eno and I are both of the same kind of mindset on players but when we do disagree as we did with Estrubal Cabrera uh, the last episode that'll come out and I think today as we talk about the Mariners and Marlins there's going to be a few disagreements as well just know that they are not uh, they're organic they're not forced because that's you know personally that's one of the things that drives me nuts in sports talk radio is when people force disagreement just for the sake of disagreement. I don't find I get much from it. Do you agree with me? Clickbait. Sure. Yeah, Bingo. Just... All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to the Mariners. Initially, when we first recorded this, we started off with a different topic, but we saw earlier today uh, that Nelson Cruz may be going to the Mariners. It looks like I believe John Heyman was reporting that the, the Mariners were getting serious with getting serious with Nelson Cruz and potentially Fernando Rodney because the new team president has approved extra funding, and this looks like it may happen. Yeah, you know, this uh, I, I this is so weird because you and I have already talked about these teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just about to say. I feel like I've said this before. Oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> and I was just about to say, oh, I know you like Farquhar, but <laughs> – but, um, 
you know, I've been nervous about this. I actually traded away Farquhar um, in a in a league uh, the, earlier this offseason because I heard that they they were interested in um, a closer and um, and they were interested in spending more money. And you know, I think this uh, it may not be the best use of resources, especially these two things. I mean. You know, maybe they could use another reliever, but they don't have to spend closer prices. We'll see if, if Rodney comes with an actual closer price. Um, and they could maybe use a little bit more bat, but, you know, Nelson Cruz, adding Nelson Cruz to that corner outfield and first base situation, um, I don't think it solves anything. Uh, it, in fact, it just creates more question marks in my mind. Yeah, I agree. This thing, this team last year seemed to be a little bit clogged up at, at the corner outfield and DH. Uh, if you had Nelson Cruz, that already does that. I mean, you just signed Corey Hart, who is not a very mobile outfielder. Uh, you just signed Logan Morrison, who has had trouble staying healthy. And now you're going to add Nelson Cruz, and that's basically three spots in a very big outfield uh, for two lumbering types of outfielders. That's it's a puzzling move for me. I would rather see them, you know, see what they have in Abraham Almonte, a, a guy who is younger, a guy who's more mobile. Uh, he doesn't have the name value, but I think there's, a, especially if you're in an AL only league and he can get decent enough playing time, I'd like what he has. You know, last year they were pretty high on Stefan Romero. Stefan Romero is on their 40 man roster. He's not on the 25. He's not even on the depth chart. If you go to Mariners.com and look at that, but Stefan Romero is a guy that I would keep my eye on in the, in the AL only format because he had some pretty good minor league numbers. And then last year got hurt a little bit with an oblique injury while they were asking him to make the transition from second base to the outfield. So his numbers suffered. But if you go look at his minor league track record up until last year when he got hurt and had to make that position switch, they were rather solid offensive numbers. So that's a guy to look at. I agree with you. I, I, I think this is unfortunate use of resources. But again, if you make the move for Robinson Cano, that can't be all you do. You have to do something. I just feel the Mariners have made – they've been too late to get into this. They made their Cano signing, and they're like, okay, cool. And now they've waited for the market to play out. Maybe it didn't play out in the direction they had, they had hoped it would. And now they're getting back into it, but there's just not that much left. Yeah, like I, I think I agree with you. I think that they wanted to maybe, you know, sign like a Tanaka um, and and kind of solve their uh, back end of the rotation issues by pushing everybody down a slot. Um, I think that might have been, you know, that was part of the rumors. The Mariners were in on him. They had the Japanese connection. You know, I thought uh, Tanaka was was a kind of an okay fit for them. Um, and I think now they're kind of left being like, well, we want to be contenders and we have this money to spend, but, you know, there's only, you know, there's only players on the market that are exactly the same as the players we have. So we'll just buy more of them. Um, and I, I think that leaves them. I mean, okay, Saunders is a, is a, is a platoon, is a possibility for platoon. And Nelson Cruz bats righty. So you could have Cruz uh, take lefty at bats from Saunders. And that would actually improve the right field situation. Um, now, if Cruz, between Cruz, Morrison, and Hart, if one of them actually can play scratch defense in the corner, um, then, you know, then you have your sort of your, your bulk winner, you know. And it's not necessarily going to be Nelson Cruz, even though he's the one who's played the most outfield. He's been, you know, pretty bad the last three years uh, with the glove. 
And yes, uh, you know, and you know, we know we have Morrison with uh, with a lower leg problem, um, and then we have uh, Corey Hart with you know coming off a micro fracture. So it's a really weird group, and but you know maybe one of them can can have a little athletic resurgence and and play well in the field. If it is Nelson Cruz, then you have something like Nelson Cruz gets full time between right field and backup left field. Um, and, you know, one of Logan Morrison or Corey Hart gets, you know, an extra quarter of time play in the outfield when Cruz is playing uh, behind Saunders. Right. And then it's a pretty much 50-50 straight platoon between Corey Hart and Logan Morrison at the designated hitter position. It's really a weird way of how it shakes out so far because, you know, we usually go to the outfield position looking for counting product, counting staff production, uh, especially in a single league format. You look at this, I already mentioned, I like Almonte, but uh, if they do add Cruz, that's really going to squeeze his playing time. We still have to find room for Nick Franklin. He got displaced in the Robinson Cano deal, and we don't know where Nick Franklin's going to pick up his playing time. And he shows, I would argue, shows, you know, probably the most athletic promise if you throw him in the outfield. I think he entices me the most. You know, we mentioned actually, you know, my local league today, somebody offered me Scott Casimir because he said, I'm not a fan of Casimir, and he wanted Dustin Ackley and James Paxton. I didn't blink twice. I clicked yes. Uh, I like Scott Casimir. I'm, I'm a fan of Casimir, and I'm kind of frustrated with Ackley, and uh, Paxton we'll talk about here shortly. But that's how I view the outfield. It, this is, and I don't think Cruz improves it. I don't like, I've, I've always liked Nelson Cruz as a fantasy player. I don't like him as he's aging, and I really don't like him if he goes to this ballpark. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to really like any of them um, as uh, as mixed league options. I mean, by any of them, I guess Cruz is the is the, the guy out in front. But, you know, if he just takes a little step back um, in the power department, we're talking about a guy who might hit 250 with 22 homers in the outfield um, with a handful of stolen bases. That's still mixed league worthy, but it's, it's barely. And then you're, you're talking about smoke. Morrison and Hart uh, battling for basically uh, two positions. And, um, you know, they have some mediocrity in the track records. And the best of the three, Corey Hart, had the, the most uh, worrisome um, knee injury. So, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a head-scratcher. I think what I'll do is uh, treat them all as, you know, really deep picks uh, in mixed leagues. And if I'm going to target anyone, I don't know, man. I think it, you know, I think it might be Hart just because he was an outfielder and he had a full year to recover and he's probably super, super cheap. So Yeah, he should be super, super cheap. My concern with him is he's – been historically below average on the road yeah and that's kind of where that that worries me it gives me some pause I know it gave me some pause uh, as uh, as he was a free agent and I was looking how the Rays could improve themselves heart kind of made sense and the more and more I looked at it I was like you know what I don't know if I really want to go that way uh, so when he went with Seattle I was like you know thanks and ended up working out uh, that direction so that's the way that outfield shakes out let's come into the infield and Seager's awesome at third base, no issues there. We know Brad Miller's going to take over at shortstop and should have, uh, I, I believe he should have a double-double season. We just we mentioned earlier, Nick Franklin gets displaced in the Robinson-Cano situation. 
how do you does he have you know last year towards the end of the season he actually had mixed league value and he was a, an AL only regular. What do we do now with Nick Franklin now that he basically has no starting job? I just passed. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing to do there unless um, you know this renewed dedication. Um, you know, to the to the team in its current state and this new new um, willingness to spend money means that Jack Z has a longer uh, track record, a longer uh, leash, and so therefore he could trade. He's he can be allowed to trade one of their best young players in Nick Franklin for uh, a pitcher. You know, maybe halfway through the season or something. I I sort of doubt that sort of move is going to happen now in spring training. You know, I think they'd rather go spend some money and put together a team and then see if it's any good. And if it's not, trade away some pieces and fire him, fire Jack. Uh, and if it is good, you know, maybe allow him to trade uh, Nick Franklin for, you know, a, a deadline piece. You'd hate to see a team trade away five years of player control uh, for a need, but it certainly wouldn't be the first time an organization <laughs> yeah. has done something like that. So, um with, let's move over to Cano. Uh, coming into the season, Cano has traditionally been I, – I don't think I've ever seen Cano go below, I'd say, the seventh pick of a, of a standard draft over the last three or four seasons since he's been with you know in the Yankees and the stadium and all that. This year, I've seen him almost drop out of the first round. If you look at his ADP, he has dropped out of the first round in some drafts. But his ADP is, is the lowest it's ever been. I think right now it's – uh, overall, 11 is where he's been. So how do you see Cano, Cano's value taking a hit, leaving Yankee Stadium and going to Safeco? Um, I, I think it has to. Um, I, you know, I guess adding uh, Nelson Cruz to this conversation uh, does change things a bit. And the possibility that Corey Hart and Logan and or Logan Morrison and or uh, Smoke, you know, pull good seasons out of their butts. Uh, but I think that I would say in general that the lineup is not as strong. And so I think that the, the biggest amount of regression you'll see in Cano's numbers will be in the, in the unsexy fantasy uh, county stats, runs and RBI. I think, you'll, I think you'll see fewer of those. Um, I wouldn't project him for more than 180 uh, combined. Um, and he's been well beyond that most years in, in New York, I think. And so, you know, a little bit of regression there, maybe a couple fewer hits um, drop in. Uh, I don't actually know the effect of Safeco on Babbitt, uh, but I do know that Safeco suppresses home runs a bit, but Cano is a, is a, is a real low, um, he's a kind of a line drive hitter, not so much a, a fly ball hitter. So I, I think that I always thought of Cano as like a 20 to 25 home run hitter, like a, a comfortable 25 home run hitter. I never thought of him as a 30 home run hitter. I know he did it once. I didn't really expect him to do it more than once. And I don't expect him to do it now, but that's what I, I didn't expect him to do it ever. So I kind of expect him to have a good batting average, 25 home, homers and fewer runs in RBI this year. Yeah, fair fair enough. I mean, what I like about him is he's not a dead pull hitter. I mean, he can you, he can hit the all all parts of the ballpark. Uh, so I'm not concerned about him, especially 
moving to Safeco, it's not as bad to left center as it is in Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium has Death Valley out there. It's not as bad uh, out there. So I think overall it may, it'll be the impact will be slightly less than what people are making it out to be. Uh, but I can definitely I, – I do not feel comfortable taking him in the top eight as I've always have. But I've, I've said all along, if I'm picking 11th in a draft and he's there, he's going to be on my roster. Uh, that's how I feel about him. Let's shift over to Smoke uh, over just, on the corner. Just because we, Go ahead. Just because we, just, uh, we had a, a Fangraphs mock last night, uh, he went fourth. And, wow. Um, you know, in the first version of my values, uh, I have to admit that um, he's my fourth-valued hitter. Um, so – and that's with a 292 uh, projection and 23 homers. So uh, anyway, that's that's just something to, to to chew on. I mean, it is it is a bad as a valuable position. So you just get a little points for that. Wow, so I'm gonna pull up the results of that so we have that to to mention uh, throughout the show here because I forgot you guys did that the other night. I uh, just want to make sure we have reference to that. But that is a uh, I'm rather stunned he went fourth overall because even even in his Yankee days, that seems a little high. But looking at Smoke, this is really a tale of two halves for this guy. First half hit 272, had an 803 OPS, and in the second half, 203, 686 OPS, but hit 12 home runs in the second half versus eight in the first half. You know, at times, Smoke looked really good last year, but this is still a guy that has his issues. I mean, he's one of those guys that, I'm using air quotes, switch hits. Uh, I'm not sure why he does that. He's better from one side than he is the other. He has been historically. Uh, kind of like he's he's in the Matt Wieters mo- mode uh, where he is better hitting, you know, better hitting on the right side. I don't know what to make of Smoke anymore. I, I had him, I think I have him at $10 in one of my local leagues in an AL league, and I'm going to let him walk at that price. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you were saying that the good numbers were the first half, right? And the bad numbers the second half? Yes. Yeah. I. And in the first half, he had a 330 uh, batting average on balls in play. In the second half, he had a 220 batter. And, I mean, it's just worth mentioning um, because uh, he's always had a bad batting average on balls in play. Um, and I don't really know why. I mean, I guess the park has to play some effect because – you know, it definitely dampens his power. But, um, you know, and I guess he's a fly ball hitter. I guess that's what it is. He, that's, and that's why maybe I'm not as worried about Cano is because he's uh, more of a ground ball hitter. And what you see out of, uh, of Smoke is maybe the kind of guy, like Smoke might have had a completely different career um, if he'd come up with Texas. Because Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. You know, he hits, he hits like 40 40 plus 40 to 50 uh, percent fly balls, and that's a that's a fairly extreme fly ball rate. Um, and it's just the kind of thing where if he had 15 percent home runs for fly ball rates, he would have been hitting 25 homers. You know, in these in these seasons, they might have forgiven him. You know, his problems in the platoon or you know whatever. I, I just feel like, you know, he would have he he would have been so different and. You know, as we have it, we have a, a, a real big fly ball hitter in the, the stadium that suppresses fly balls the most. Um, and he has the occasional pop-up problem. So his batting out and his line drive rate has never been average. So you've got a guy who uh, doesn't have the right recipe for a good batting average on balls in play. Uh, and is 
average when it comes to making contact and his only real above average skill, especially when you consider his position is, is walk rate. So it, it, he's a, he's a difficult player to own. I might be a little bit more willing to own him in a, uh, in an on-base percentage league. Yeah. I mean, what I look at, when I look at him, what I like, and I, let me correct myself when I said he's more the Matt Wieters, he's more the Wilson Bediment where he doesn't hit lefties at all, but he hits righties rather well. Last year was his best year hitting right-handed pitching of his four seasons in the major leagues. Last year hit 260, slugged 477, hit 18 of his 20 home runs last year from uh, from the left side of the plate. That's more than he's ever done his previous seasons, 11 home runs and 12 home runs. So he's making incremental growth in his power from that side of the plate when we look at his overall numbers, but his walk rate and his strikeout rate has pretty much been the same. So it seems like he's hitting the ball a little further every year. Uh, but as you said, the batting average in balls in play is pretty was you know 270 ish, and last year it was 298 from the right side. But with a fly ball, that can go either way. And you know, fly balls, we've seen the batting average league wide on fly balls get lower and lower and lower. So you know you hope he can flatten out some of those, hit some more line drives. Cheap power source because power is hard to come by these days. You got to still make the play on him. Maybe I'm making a mistake letting him walk at ten dollars, but at the same time, if he's if he's going to hit for a low average, he's going to have to hit the twenty plus home runs to justify the dollar amount at that position. Yeah, for sure. I, it's just, and you know, you have to think about at this point. Uh, you, you know, age comes into play, and at twenty seven, he's. He's he might not be post peak, but I don't think he's pre peak anymore, and it's kind of a long time to wait for uh, wait for that peak to come from him. Yeah, I don't I don't know if the peak's going to come. Let's shift uh, behind the plate and 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 look at Mike Zanino. We talked about and uh, the first time we tried to record this, I called this post traumatic Montero disorder. Uh, if you were one of the unfortunate people who had Jesus Montero last year, uh, I'm raising my hand here. Uh, you're a little worried about drafting a catcher. Uh, Zanino has shown when he was he comes with a, a good pedigree at least. It's, you know, a really good college, collegiate hitter was hitting very well at the lower levels of the minor leagues last year. Uh, numbers in 2012 and early in 2013. Then he hit the upper levels of the minor leagues and stuff happened. And I'll let you go into this a little bit because you have some more background on this. Well, you know, Zanino, um, he got rushed. And it's just, it's, I guess, you know, what happens is teams get tired of losing, you know, and whenever there's a chance that like things are getting a little bit better and they could push their win total, even a couple uh, inches past last year's win total, then they do crazy things like call up Mike Zanino, uh, their, you know, top, top draft pick to basically be the defensive backup. Uh, catcher for because their their other guys got hurt or, or suspended or whatever have you. Um, so you know I think he got rushed. He came to the big leagues and the problem was he came to the big leagues with a book in hand because uh, you know normally you know but but you're 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 hitting on all cylinders when you when they decide to finally uh, call you up to the big leagues. But Zanino was in AAA having a hard time and it was because everyone decided he couldn't hit the curveball supposedly and they were all throwing him junk. And all the guys in AAA have a little bit more command and more junk than the guys in AA. And his strikeout rate went through the roof, and there was a book. He can't hit the curve. Trouble with the curve. Um, and uh, he came to the big leagues, and it, came to, it, it was the same thing was true. His strikeout rate was still really high. 
Right. The funny thing is, though, I checked it out uh, on Brooks Baseball. They have you can actually look at uh, whiff rates against every pitch, and Zanino's whiff rates against all pitches are bad. I mean, it's he's like a fastball hitter right now, and it's not just the curveball. It's anything that breaks is giving him a little bit of trouble. And you know, I know it's really early to be saying anything about this, but he's seen you know almost a thousand major league pitches now. And uh, and and whiff rate and per pitch metrics are always way ahead of uh, per at bat metrics. So, you know, we can say that you know, with with about fifty percent certainty that he has a strikeout problem, and that he has a swinging strike problem at the very least. And so I think that reduces his ceiling and expectations for him going forward. And yes, there could be a bounce back, but in general, I now put him in the bucket of the guys who can hit you know, 240 with 18 homers, of which there are probably 15 guys in the major leagues at any given time. And that may be a peak for him. I mean, when you talk about him being rushed, 419 plate appearances at the minor leagues before he was called up. I mean, that's pushing it. I know he had you know, a high draft pick coming out of a high-profile college program uh, in Florida, but that's really rushing it. When you talk about everything that a catcher has to do, that that scares me. Uh, and Coming from the post-traumatic Montero disorder, Zanino's not somebody I want to draft. In fact, in the mock draft that I've mentioned numerous times, uh, my pick's coming up, and I had planned on taking one of two guys, uh, two catchers that are currently ranked below where Zanino is on the ADP. Zanino's ADP is currently 293. He's a 23rd catcher off the board. I'm looking at my second catcher. was hoping to get either Josemiel Pinto, who is 308, or Hank Conger, a guy that I really like, who I, I saw some nice growth in last year at 414. I would take either of those guys over Zanino. Unfortunately, both of them are gone. It looks like I'm going to be moving to Ryan Hannigan at 498 because when I look at everything else. I'm like, I, I don't know what I like, but I I do not like I do not like Zanino in the top 25 of the catcher position for basically all the reasons we've stated. Yeah, I think there's other guys that you know Devin Mesoraco. I don't know if you're an AL only or whatever, but Devin Mesoraco is another guy uh, who's on the lower end of rankings that I would like more than him. Um, I mean, Alex Avila is right is behind Zanino right now in ADP, and I think Avila bounces back. I mean, he had his issues last year, but I think that's somebody who can bounce back. He's not as bad as what we saw um, at, at points last year, but I would still take him over Zanino right now. And I think that's a, that's a really good name to pick up because that's sort of where I, I think of Zanino – even I don't know, I don't want to say peak because he could have a better season. He could have a, an Avila peak season in him. But I kind of see him now as, as an Avila in the future. And um, the problem with taking Zanino now when you could have Avila now is that you, you sort of know that Avila can Avila, but you don't, you don't even know that Zanino can Avila. So, um, you know, in, in the case of catchers, I, and, and Dynasty Leagues in particular, I'm not that big on on picking up young catchers. I, I feel like they have they I know for from research that they have the oldest debut age. Um mm-hmm. and I feel like, you know, without having a great spot to, to point to in the in the research, that uh they have a higher bust rate. I've seen some work on that. And I also feel like they uh take the longest to adjust to the league. So uh, I just look at Hank Conger. Hank Conger had great minor league numbers coming up. Devin yes. also had pedigree out the wazoo. He was a top 20 BA guy. Everybody liked him. And then, oh, no, his defense isn't good enough. And I feel like there's so many former catchers that are managers that are just looking at these young catchers and being like, you can't play defense. I mean, I remember 
I asked Mike Sosha, can Hank Conger, uh, you know, catch for you like two years ago at the winter meetings? And he said, Hank Conger thinks he can catch. <laughs> That's an awesome quote. And I, just, and I was like, dude, you're so full of yourself. God. This is one of the reasons why I, you know this is one of the reasons why John Jason was traded out of Tampa Bay. They liked him at the plate. They Joe Madden was not happy with his work behind the dish. He'd see, he would say one thing, but the fact that they traded him and who they traded him for, yeah, kind of spoke volumes. To be to be fair, I think you know that book has now been closed by three different major league organizations, so I think it's closed for good. But uh, um, you know, with Hank Conger though, I I just as an aside, I agree with you. Um, I think this will be the year when he finally takes over the two thirds of the role. Um, and I think the team, you know, is finally starting to see that the work he's putting into on defense is working out. And I think he has a decent approach to the plate and has in some ways more fantasy upside than Ionetta. So anyway, that's an aside. Um, on Zanino, we seem to agree. Yep. Let's jump up, uh, onto the mound. And I don't think there's anything that really needs to be said about King Felix or Iwakuma. Um, but I was, Interested in how the other three pitchers that are projected in the rotation went in your mock draft. Taiwan Walker went 177th overall in the 10th round. Um, Erasmus Ramirez went to 17th just before you took James Paxton in the 18th. Uh, personal reactions, Walker was way overdrafted. Uh, just way overdrafted at that point. Just... I, I like his I like his ceiling, but he's a few steps from that on the ladder. Um, I liked where you took Paxton. I like where Ramirez went. I, I see those two as, as really being the, as really being the three four in the rotation. I think Walker, while he has more skills and has a, a much brighter future, I just don't see him getting there to that future yet. And these are the types of players I personally try to avoid in drafts because there's too much helium in there. And, and you see guys make the, the reach on it. Uh, we said the same thing about Danny Salazar when we talked about him, but these young guys, people get all in a tizzy because especially coming off a year where we had Harvey and we had Fernandez and, and that kind of thing, it's all of a sudden, wow, let's go after it. Let's try this. We saw the same kind of thing. I'm trying to think of a couple of players, but we saw after Bryce Harper uh, and Mike Trout, you know, after their big year, okay, who's going to be that guy this year? That guy may not be there. But Tywin Walker in the tenth round seems ludicrous to me. Um, well, I mean, it's the tenth round in the eighteen teamer, so it's a little bit, maybe a little bit less ludicrous than it sounds for a mixed leaguer. But um, he's still fifty. He's still fifty points ahead of his ADP. That's that's pretty impressive. I mean, there there are a couple of reactions that I have. Um, I had a really good fantasy season last year, and a lot of it um, was picking young pitchers and. I I hate I understand what you're saying and I and I hate I hate to say well therefore I should always pick young pitchers uh, because it worked for me that one year um, so I don't I don't want to fall into that trap but there are a couple reasons that you could argue that young pitchers are a good deal and those are um, the uh, the fact that we've seen with the aging curves recently that it looks like velocity just drops from the minute you get into the big leagues. And that uh, every year of age adds 1% uh, disabled list chance. Um, and that it looks like pitches themselves add disabled list chance if, once you stack them up over time. So, um, you know, there is something really attractive about a young pitcher. Of course, they come with innings limits. They come with bust rates. Um, and uh, they, they come with uh, broken hearts. So, I you know, I, I, I hear you. And... I'm just going to do my best to – I think diversity is, is a big deal. 
And I think that there, are, I think you should have a, a spot or two open on your team, even in a, even in a redraft team for a young pitcher. But it doesn't need to be the one with all the helium, like you're saying. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be Taiwan Walker. It could be James Paxton. Um, it's just that you, with a young pitcher, you have the chance to spend very little and get a lot in return. And um, you know, take a look at the per pitch stuff and and make sure that they have um, decent pitches. Um, you know, and then, then then take a shot. Maybe it's Alex Wood, but um, I, I still say take a shot on the youngsters. Maybe just not the ones that are most expensive. I mean, a couple of picks after him, and you're in the mock draft that that we hosted the other night. Singrani went three picks after him. Zach Wheeler went right after Singrani. Uh, Patrick Corbin went. Buck Holtz, Sabathia, Cueto. Masterson. I'm looking at the starting pitchers that went after him. I mean, I think Walker and Singrani are, are a nice synergy because personally, I would lean at Singrani because we have a little more of what he's been able to do at the major league level. I, uh, I Corbin, so I don't. I hate to toot my own torn, horn, but um, I, I like Corbin and maybe Cueto the best of that group because the best track record. You know, but Cueto comes to my argument a little bit. I mean, he's older. The DL chance is obviously a little bit, you know, kind right. of through the roof. And uh, <clears throat> and so, therefore, you know, you could see why somebody would take it. But with Cueto, with his prices depressed that far, then he becomes he becomes a value again. And and with Corbin, yeah, there's some regression coming possibly. But you know, he's still a pitcher in the NL, and he still did what he did last year, even with the bad couple of months. And um, you know, I, I think uh, that was pretty far for him to fall. Yeah, I mean, three ahead and three behind with Walker. Sabathia, Wheeler, and Dickey are going ahead of him. Estrada, Lynn, and Archer are going immediately behind him. Further on down the line, Corota, Garza, Burnett, Jared Parker, Gallardo, Heron. You know, I'm kind of surprised those. that's the way the order is so far, but that's where it is. Uh, if you had to pick one of these guys, Ramirez, Walker, or Paxton, uh, as, you, quote, unquote, your guy um, to be the one to watch in 2014, which would you pick? Uh, it's it's Walker. I mean, I'm just I, I'm you know forever flogging this per pitch metric stuff, and you know his changeup has above average whiffs, above average grounders, and that's supposed to be his third pitch. His curve, uh, average whiffs, uh, you know, average grounders, but it's it's it looks really nice when you watch it. Um, and uh, he's got uh, he's got movement and velocity, 95 on his on his uh, four seamer. So there's a lot to like there, of course. You know his control and his command was was worse in the minors, and um, there are some worrisome um, ball rates on on his uh, on his pitches. But uh, you know James Paxton, you know he's looked a lot better since he fixed his knee. Uh, he's back up to the mid 90s, but his velocity is still inconsistent. And you know if you're talking about if he has three pitches or not, his changeup is much worse than than um, Walker's changeup. Yes, and um, and then you get down to Erasmo Ramirez, who has, um, who does have a changeup and a slider, and the slider can be decent, but you know part of the helium that Erasmo Ramirez got was that he was pumping up to 93 plus 94, um, you know, kind of blew up the radar gun suddenly. He, he had been, you know, a low 90s pitcher um, in the low minors. So he got all this. He got this velocity, you know, got some interest, got on on some radars, and now the velocity is starting to to fall off again, and he's already lost a tick again. So I just feel like, you know, 92, 91 mile an hour fastball with an okay slider and a great changeup, 
I think it's very much like a Dylan G situation, but I'm not sure that Dylan G could be Dylan G in, in the American League. So, um, you know, I definitely am worried about Erasmo Ramirez. See, that's my guy. Uh, I was on him strong coming into 2013. Obviously, the injury set him back. Um, I still like what I see. I'm always going to be a sucker for a guy with a really good changeup, and I think uh, if he can really get his command, that's what, when I watched him pitch last year when he came back, the command wasn't there, and that really affected his other pitches. I'm, I'm willing to get back on that bandwagon because that helium out of him is definitely gone, uh, and I would take him back if I were given the opportunity. Right now his ADP is 422. I mean, he's the 118th starting pitcher off the board. That's that's not mixed league material to me, but in an AL only league, I have him for seven dollars in my local AL league. I he's very much in my keeper list right now. If another he's my last guy because since I won that league, I have limited keepers. He's my last guy in the buck on the on the list right now, so he may come off it. But right now, he's on my keeper list. Yeah, I had um, I had Erasmo for. Uh, seven dollars in auto new and i i let him go um in points because uh in our points home runs allowed is a big deal and okay despite the fact that he pitches in seattle which is why i had him in the first place uh home runs allowed have turned into a problem for him and i, and I know why i mean if you watch him pitch he throws he throws his 91 92 mile an hour fastball high in the zone um which he does for strikeouts and he does probably to differentiate between his changeup, which tumbles you know, low and away. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, that can be an iffy strategy. It's the same thing you see, you know, I say Dylan G, it's a little bit, that's a little bit rough because Dylan G actually is like 88, 89 with a fastball. And sometimes when you see him throw an 88, 89 on a fastball, like down, the, down Broad Street, you know, um, at the belt, you're kind of like, ah, he's, yeah. uh, it can work if the if the hitter is not expecting it or if the hitter's off balance is looking for the changeup whatever kind of pitching backwards type stuff but and, and auto new is is a weird thing because it's a 12 team league in the end you know you have 40 man rosters so you kind of get lulled in this idea that it's a really deep league but i just didn't think that in a tw- if you know in a team where i needed everybody to be in the top 12 um at their respective spots i wasn't sure that he was, for example, a top 60 starting pitcher going into the season. Yeah. Um, speaking about new format, anybody on the Mariners that people should be looking at? Uh, I mean, I it's like it's it's almost like a 12 team league, except that you have a 40 man roster, so you can take a chance on a guy like Scott Baker um, or James Paxton that you know. You know, actually, all three of those are worth taking chances in Audenew. Just maybe not at the six, seven, eight dollar chance uh, level. But if you can have them for less than five bucks, what you've got the winner is probably a low homer, you know, guy with a decent amount of strikeouts, and you know, so I I think all three Paxton, Ramirez, and even Scott Baker are Audenew um, interesting. You know, of course Baker's the dollar guy. Um, but you know, from what I hear out of Seattle right now, if Baker is healthy and throwing, you know, 90 plus in, in spring, then he's the guy with the rotation spot. 
It would be it's music to my ears, considering uh, Scott Baker has been fantasy kryptonite to me for quite some time, and I'm not stealing that phrase from my friends Matthew and Nate at ESPN uh, Fantasy Focus because they're not on the show anymore uh, since they retired and went off on their high horses. But yeah, Scott Baker is is one of those guys. If the velocity's back, I'm going to be on Scott Baker. That's the one thing I noticed last year when he came back. The velocity just wasn't there. He was he was topping out 86. I have nothing nothing to do with Scott Baker if he's working 86 miles an hour. <laughs> don't want it. Don't want it. No thanks. Yeah, I don't um, think the, bullpen. I don't think the oh, go ahead. Sorry, either. I don't think the Mariners wanted that A6 either. Yeah. Um, last thing, bullpen. We mentioned earlier that there's been rumors that they are in on Rodney, as are the Orioles, as are the Mets, um, as a Danny Farquhar owner. Um, that breaks my heart because uh, I was able to jump on that guy last year, enjoyed a lot of success from him down the stretch, helped me win that league title I talked about earlier. I like his skills. I like how they're set up. I don't want Rodney messing with that situation. Um, what are your thoughts here? You know, actually, I think that Farquhar is probably uh, ownable, even if Rodney does sign there. Um, you know, we've seen that, that Rodney is probably not as good as that one great season, that one shining light. And, um, you know, if he, if he runs into trouble, it, as long as they didn't sign him for too many years and too many dollars, I, I have a feeling that they would still be okay with, okay, well, Rodney, you're still you're going to be a valuable part of our, our bullpen. You're still going to be our setup guy, or you're going to – you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be you know the foil to Yorvis Medina or whatever. Um, so I think that uh, Farquhar will get some saves this year, even if Rodney signs with the Mariners. But and and even though it looks like a really stupid move from a real baseball standpoint, if you are going to be competitive, uh, a bullpen of Farquhar, Wilhelmson, and Medina does have question marks. You know, they're all a little bit wild as a group. And, yes, they do have uh, good strikeout rates, but none of them has basically like two full seasons of excellent work um, on their resume. So I would say that it's not an incredibly stupid idea to say, let's bring in a veteran to pair with these guys. Um, I haven't seen the numbers yet, and, you know, it does seem silly on the on the face of it. But it's not that silly. Let's hope the numbers aren't too scary. I mean, I, I'm, I know insurance can be expensive these days, depending on how much money you do or do not make. But from a baseball perspective, uh, having watched Fernando Rodney for the last few years, you really have no idea which guy you're going to get. He was fun to watch in 2012. Last year uh, was just a mess. When he came out, you you just had no idea which guy was going to show up. Uh, it seems to, he, he seems to be one of those junk insurance plans uh, for me personally. Uh, yes, I may be a little biased because I don't want my, my cheap closer to go away. Um, <laughs> but I, I am at least a little bit concerned that they're actually talking about bringing in somebody um, with that level of experience. Any final thoughts on the Mariners before we shift sides of the country? Uh, no, I mean, I, I – I'm holding on to Nick Franklin in, in Arnu and in some uh, dynasty leagues just because, you know, it's worth, I think, another half season or season of, of hoping he gets traded or the Mariners blow up or whatever. And there's something there's something nice in Nick Franklin's uh, track record. I think there's a chance for him to improve his strikeout rate um, and he's got power and speed. So, um, you know, I, I think Nick Franklin is worth uh, keeping an eye on like to hear that. All right, let's jump all the way down to Miami, uh, which 
is really a weird situation when you look at this roster. Uh, it, they really haven't done much this offseason. I believe I read today that they added Jeff Baker to a deal. I believe that's one of the things I saw. So that's yet another name to throw into the third base situation on a platoon situation. But overall, if you, I mean, offensively, everything has to start with Giancarlo Stanton. The concern for Giancarlo Stanton coming into 2013 was, oh, my God, how is he going to hit anything because he has no lineup protection? Uh, And this is for people who believe in the theory of lineup protection. If you were to go back and look at who hit behind him in 2012, they had a collective OPS of around 650. So he had nobody protecting him in 2012 and did damage. 2013 had the same collection of crap behind him and didn't have anything in front of him, got hurt and had a disappointing year. Stanton, uh, if people are looking to draft him now, last time I checked on Stanton's ADP, his ADP was some, was still in the top 30 uh, for him. So people are still on this on the Stanton board. Um, and, yeah, he is so currently 26th. Are you comfortable taking Giancarlo Stanton at 26th in a day and age where power is definitely at a premium? Um, you know, I, I've – I haven't owned him a lot, and it's it's mostly because I'm a little bit, you know, he doesn't really have uh, stolen bases as a category. And with the strikeout rate, I've never trusted his batting average to be much better than 260. Um, so you're kind of talking about a two-category guy in homers and, run, and runs batted in. And then, you know, RBI is not really going to be that kind to him on that team. And that's that's where I see the protection thing being an issue. I don't actually, you know, believe in protection, but I do think that, you know, being on a better lineup would have given him a, a lot of runs in RBI that he didn't have. So, um, you know, that takes that takes value away. So now you're talking about a one-category guy. And some people like to throw around the idea that there are one-category winners. But you need uh, you need 250-plus homers a year. Even if he hits 40, you still need a lot of other homers. So, um, you know, second round, sure, that's where he's going. He's going in the high second round. I'd rather have got him in the mid to late second round. And it's not because I don't think, you know, he needs someone to hit behind him. I just think he needs a whole team around him. I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to one category winners offensively, frankly, one guy comes to mind. That's Billy Hamilton. If he can get on base enough and steal 50, 60 bases, that's a category winner. I don't see a Billy Hamilton comparable player. If you're talking about power, I mean, if, yeah, let's say Chris Davis hits 52 this year. Somebody's I, there's other pay, players that can hit 40, but if he if if I think a, a 50 stolen base total for Hamilton may be conservative. Let's say he gets 500 plate appearances. Let's say he steals 75. Is anybody going to come within 15 to 20 of that? Maybe, but that to me is a category winner. With Stanton, I don't think it's there right now. He's a 10th outfielder off the board. He's going ahead of Jay Bruce, Alex Rios, Justin Upton, Jose Bautista, Matt Kemp and Sinshu Chu are the first six names behind him. Personally, I'd feel more comfortable taking Bruce, Rios, Upton, Bautista, and Chu over Stanton. I mean, Bruce has a great a great um, uh, argument in his favor, which is he steals bases, first of all. He'll give you five, five or so, and that's, you know, that's more. And he's on, a better, he's on a better lineup, and he's had a better track record for health. So... He's got that. I think there's a good chance he could end up hitting fourth in that lineup if they if they staggered. If Hamilton does well enough to hit leadoff, Votto hits second, Phillips hits third because you don't want to go left. You know, have potential. Of, you want to kind of alter your lineup. That could put Jay Bruce hitting cleanup 
at worst, he's going to hit third. So I think he's going to hit behind Votto. And it, you know, when you talk about lineup protection and that myth, you know, with the work that James Click had done when he was working at Baseball Prospectus before joining the Rays, you know, lineup protection works in that the guy hitting behind the guy usually benefits more because that guy's on the guy in front of him is getting on base. Anytime you add that extra base runner, it just benefits the guy at the plate. Uh, and I think Bruce could be in for a really nice year when you look at last year, thirty home runs. Uh, yes, he has his issues with strikeouts. Yes, he does have I – mean, he's not without flaw. But to me, I, I still think overall he's got more fantasy value than Stanton does this year. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's worth talking about how putrid this team is going to be. I mean, it is just really, really nasty. I mean – That leads me to my next question. <laughs> Outside of Stanton, who, were, who would – let's say South Lamakia. I'll throw him in there too. Who else would you take in a mixed league format? off the Miami Marlins offensive roster. I mean, offense like batting, not offensive, that it is truly as bad as it looks. Yeah, well, it is an offensive roster. Uh, nobody on the infield, which doesn't surprise you, uh, but I think we might have a little bit of disagreement in the outfield. There are two guys in the outfield, other than Stanton, that I would consider for my mixed league bench. And the first one's obvious, I think. Um, Christian Yalick is the, is the golden child. Uh, down there, he's 22, sweet uh, lefty swing, um, and he hit four homers and stole 10 bases in basically a half season. So he's shown a lot more upside in terms of power. Yes, his strikeout rate was a little high, so I'd, I'd push him back down to about 260 in a full season. Uh, but the potential, I think, is already there for uh, like a 15-15 type season. Um, and I think that's mixed league valuable, especially as an extra outfielder. Uh, as a lefty, you could you slot him in against righties and, and get a lot of value out of him. Uh, I think that one, I think I'm not alone on that one. I'm finding that I'm alone on the next one. Uh, I'm alone on an island when it comes to Marcelo Zuna. Um, and it's obvious, I, I'm not saying that he doesn't have flaws. I mean, he he had a, about an average strikeout rate last year, but there is a possibility mm-hmm. that it gets worse next year. He had worse strikeout rates in the minor leagues. So let's just say he's not going to be really a content monster, a uh, contact monster. Uh, he doesn't walk. Um, they tried him in center field, uh, and he could actually play a little center, but maybe he's better suited for the um, for the corners in the future. Those things are all relevant for his real life uh, playing time, um, but. I actually am not that worried because I think he showed enough on defense to play center, and I think that puts him in a different bucket of players. He's not competing. You know, Yelich is can be can be a corner outfield then, and then he's competing with Jake Marisnik, who has a lot more flaws um, yes. than Marcelo Zuna. He has a worse uh, contact rate. He has just the same bad uh, walk rate, and he has nowhere uh, – the same power upside as Marcelo Zuna. So I think Marisnik uh, is the one who's losing out here. And I think, you know, personally, from the way they played Ozuna last year and they gave him a really long trial in center and then he still played pretty much every day, even when other people got healthy, I think that he bought himself, uh, you know, I think that the, he proved that to the team that he can be an asset and that they are just going to pencil him in as the full-time starter in center field. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of people disagree with me on that, and the and his uh, ADPs are down. When I picked him in the mock yesterday, uh, even though it was to be 
my fifth or sixth outfielder in an 18 team league. There were still comments about how, you know, he didn't, he wasn't sure to play or whatever, but I think, um, I think what we're going to see out of him is another, a, a similar season, 260, 15, 15. So if you need a little bit of power and speed from an outfielder at the end of your draft, um, I, I'd say don't, don't, uh, don't knock it completely. Here's one of the, the, the same theory applies as, as we have said in the past, even bad, even bad teams need saves. So if, if people were scared away of Steve Ciszek last year, he ended up getting a saves. Well, this applies to position players. Somebody has to play in the outfield for them. And I, you've, you, you've made a good choice, a good, uh, uh, argument uh, rather for Ozuna and obviously Yelich has got talent you've got Mariznik who eventually has a talent Bogusevich uh, can be a situation in a platoon he can be an issue so that's one of the things that, that they have so they've got enough pieces uh, and uh, we mentioned earlier about Baker coming in that really puts them in a pl- uh, gives them another platoon piece on the infield I can definitely see them where they're in a where they're in a situation where they're platooning here, platooning here based on matchups because they don't have outside of Stanton, they really don't have a, a legitimate full time player at a position. Uh, again, South Milwaukee and Stanton, that's pretty much it. The rest of it could be a battle of matchups and see what happens from it. Yeah, and that's the worrisome part, I guess, about Azuna uh, is that he's a right hander, um, and Bukusevic is a left hander with a platoon problem, so they could. They could pair the two, and then Ozuna would really get hurt. Um, that's why I, I'm not advocating for anything more than a dollar pick bench guy um, in mm-hmm. mixed leagues. You know, I think a little bit more in NL onlys. But you know, when I look at this roster, it it stinks. It stinks of <laughs> of uh, of just I cynic. I very cynic. It's just a bunch of guys that they put together to field a representative roster. There's none of them who really have upside. They're all old. Their third baseman are Ty Wigginton and Casey McGee and Ed Lucas, who's 32. Uh, you know, their shortstop has some upside, so he's probably going to keep the job all year. But, you know, it's mostly all with the glove. They signed Rafael for a call to play second base, even though they had Derek Dietrich. Uh, right. Who, you know, who has, has some flaws. But if I was running this team and I was really trying to, to uh, you know, pump and dump where I was like, okay, we need to find out who the next, you know, uh, winners are. You know, we need to find out who the next second baseman is. I'm not going to sign Rafael for a call. I'm going to throw Derek Dietrich in there. I'm going to sign Jordan Valdespin. That's not a crazy idea. And I'm going to say Valdespin, Dietrich, go get it, you know. And, uh, you know, am I going to bother with Garrett Jones and Jeff Baker? I, I don't know. Salty. You can argue for that, you know, you know, maybe, you know, he can he can stick around and still be worth something at the back end of his contract. But I mean, really, Ty Wigginson and Casey McGeehy, uh, I don't know about this. Um, it's a it's a strange situation. I mean, we mentioned Baker. They signed Reed Johnson to a minor league deal with an invite. They've signed Ty Wigginson to a minor league deal with an invite. Joe Benson to a minor league deal with an invite. Um You've got on the kid situation, Colin Moran is going to come up eventually. That was their big draft pick. But that's what they have at, at, from the offensive side, from you know, the minor league non-roster invitees. That's what it is. Uh, it is a very strange situation. I think on the infield, you mentioned Echeverria. 
I like him as an NL only middle infield type if you need a dollar or two player because he does run and they're going to steal some bases. He stole 11 last year. You know, if you could get him for one to three dollars, I think there's some value there. Um, I like Dietrich because he does have some power potential. It's just a matter of where he's going to play. Maybe he plays some outfield. This is a kid that was drafted as a shortstop, has played third base, has played second base, has played some outfield. So he's got some versatility. So maybe that benefits him. Uh, but again, this is NL only picks outside of Stanton and, and Saltalamaki. I'm not touching a guy in a mixed league format. I'd like to see if they, you know, I'd like to look in the history of the Marlins and they got yelled at once for not spending enough money. And there was threatening of having like a salary floor uh, right. and all that stuff. I'd like to see if they got really close to that because I think that there was a point where they really had like no money on the roster. So I'd like to see if, if that's the case, then I think that I see I see this very cynically. They just signed a bunch of people that look like they were spending money. They're going to put these guys in for a half season, and for Carl's going to hit the DL, and Garrett Jones is going to poop out, and uh, Jeff Baker will be fine, but only in a platoon role, and uh, Ty Wigginson and Casey McGee will prove that they're still backups, and one of them will get released, or a bunch of them will get released, and you'll see by the end of the season it'll be Ozuna, Stanton, Yalik in the outfield. Uh, Dietrich, uh, Hecaveria, um, uh, what's his, what his name? Moran? Uh, Colin Moran, but he's, he's going to be a couple of years. He was the college pick, so he's got a little bit of time. Oh. He's 21. All right. Well, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll give D- Dietrich a shot at third and, and try Valdez being a second. Um, you know, and, and then you'll find that there'll be some minor leaguer you didn't think was ready that they'll pull up because that's they've already proven they'll do that with Jose Fernandez. But, you know, to their credit, they're very good at that. A lot of people thought they go, oh, they're calling up this guy too early. Oh, they're doing this. Well, they, you know, they thought Stanton was up too early. Stanton was really good. What in the hell are you doing calling up Jose Fernandez? And look what he did last year. So it's, you know, to their credit, when they call these guys up, they're bigger prospects. They seem to do very well with what, and they don't, they're not thinking about the future, obviously. Otherwise, they never would have called up Jose Fernandez last year. But, you know, to them, when they're ready, they're ready. And if we have to trade them, we'll trade them later. Uh, that's just the way it works with them. Speaking of Fernandez, obviously, huge year last year, pitched 173 innings for them coming off a season where uh, he had thrown 144 innings and they, you know, they had done a nice job of staggering him up. He will turn 22 in this current season. Are you concerned at all about a, a workload on him? Cause I, I think we would both agree from a skill level. We don't care. This guy's awesome. But are you concerned at all that he's going to have some kind of inning cap being 22 years old coming off a season where he's still in that kind of work? No, I'm I'm okay with him. I um, he they did do it sort of aggressively, but uh, they 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 held him to a hard cap. And at 160, I think he'll he, if there is a cap next year, it'll be at 190 or something. It won't be something that roto um, that roto players will notice. Maybe head to head leaguers a little bit of nervousness about what happens in the in the uh, championship round. Um, but uh, I think he's. He's close to ready to go. And with the changeup, as sexy as it is as his third pitch, uh, you know, all hands on deck. I, 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 I'm a fan of his. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch him pitch. It's rather ridiculous um, when, he's, when he's on, his, especially the changeup, just the movements, just fun to watch. But going down that staff, is there somebody else that you see that could potentially be an end game mixed league pick out of their rotation? 
Well, I think that for most people, that's uh, Nate Valdi who who uh, came up with a lot of velocity last year and has a nice uh, combination of, of of slider and and um, and velocity in the fastball. But Valdi's <clears throat> not my kind of not my kind of guy. I mean, I do like the velocity, but um, you know, in terms of uh, outcomes on the pitches, the slider is actually only about average, and he just throws it a lot. Um, and the fastball is above average. So you've got an average pitch, an above average pitch. His changeup is bad. Uh, his sinker is, uh, uh, his curve is bad and his cutter is, uh, so, you know, you've got a lot of, uh, in there for a guy that people really like. So I, I'm going to stay away a little bit. And he, I think his splits have shown it in the past. Um, you know, but uh, he's he's not afraid to throw the slider against lefties, but he does try to throw all the other pitches a lot more against lefties, and that's why he doesn't do so well against them because he's throwing these other pitches that aren't so good. You know, instead, I'm I'm kind of interested in Jacob Turner, and I took him last night in that mock, uh, and I took him pretty late, uh, so he might not be mixed league yet, but uh, you know, I think he could be close, and I think that actually a spring training might be an interesting thing to watch to see what how often he's throwing the changeup. Because when I look at his his line um, from a pitch metric standpoint, his curve is above average with whiffs. His slider is above average with whiffs. Changeup is above average with ground ball. So that's uh, three pitches that I think are major league quality, two of which are plus. His slider actually gets more whiffs than Eovaldi's. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good in that package. And his his sinker is is very good, actually. You've got pedigree coming back in the past. You've got park and you've got league. Um, so I, I think that Jacob Turner is, I, you know, I'll probably take him in some mixed leagues with my final pick. I like Turner a lot as an end game uh, NL pick. Uh, I, he's one of the guys I like to watch pitch being here in Florida. If it's an off night for the, for the Rays, I'm able to catch Marlins games. Uh, but I like what I've the couple times I've watched Turner pitch. I'd like what I've seen there currently his ADP almost has him off the charts. He's 142nd starting pitcher at 493. He's just ahead of a guy that I like a lot in the AL side, Brad Peacock, uh, that we talked about a few episodes ago. So that's where Turner, he's coming in down there, currently below Jake Odorizzi, Edwin Jackson. That's kind of where he's floating. But I, I like him in the NL and Eovaldi. You know, I agree with everything you said. He went in my mock draft 271, which I thought was high. He's the first pick of the 19th round. So I think there's some more proven. He's got some upside. Uh, there's no doubt. When you throw with that kind of velocity, you have upside. Uh, but that's a guy that I might be willing to spend a buck or two in a, in a mixed league, whereas with Turner, I could go probably up to $4 in the NL league, but I'm not willing to touch him in a mixed league just yet. Yeah, you might be right. I mean – it's just it's just funny to look at his per pitch metrics and then look at his overall and just be like why why is his whiff rate so low why is his strikeout rate low so low he has some decent pitches you know and for what it's worth I was talking about it a little bit on Twitter and somebody was saying that he's got really bad mound demeanor um, which is not something that I normally think about but um, you know could mean something about his aggressiveness and using those pitches or whatever so. Uh, Interesting. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? Any uh, new uh, specific players to, uh, to look at with the Marlins? No. Um, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're all a little bit more interesting in linear weights, auto new, because um, they, uh, they have a really nice home run suppressing park. 
Um, and none of them is really projected. Uh, none of the top six is projected to uh, to have a homer a homer over nine. Uh, I mean, to give up more than one homer per nine innings. So um, that always helps them out a little bit. And uh, in the bullpen, you know, behind Sishek, Ramos and Caps, um, you know, are the are the guys that that could take over. Caps has a wicked platoon split that hasn't always mattered when it comes to choosing closers. And right. has velocity and strikeouts on top of Ramos, so I would I think I'd put Caps in the second chair. But um, Ramos did spend last year in the second chair and had had a chance at nibbling at the uh, closers role for about a week when Sishek was having some troubles. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting with them if they decide to put Steve Sishek. When you look at that roster, I mean, frankly, I don't know how you keep the guy. Uh, you you try to maximize his value. You try to trade him. If there's yeah. a team out there that's saying, "Hey, you know, what do you want for him?" I don't know how you hold on to him because he's not going to move your needle in the next two years. And then he starts getting expensive in arbitration because of the saves. So if you start hearing rumors about him being traded, then start lining up. Okay, who's going to be? Is it going to be Caps? Is it going to be Ramos? And, and do your homework behind him. I think right now, if somebody were, let's say you're in a, a standard league with a six bench players. I say if you're in a league and you and you take a pick trying to handcuff these Shek, I think you're making a mistake. That said, be diligent on your on your rumor uh, hoarding and see what's going on, and then jump on it if you need to. Yeah, spring might make a difference. I mean, just because Caps has never pitched for the Marlins before, um, and uh, you know, you may want to listen to you know what he's talking about if he's talking about a third pitch. Um, what they're talking about with Ramos, how excited they are about Ramos, you know, that sort of stuff. But those are the two names to know. Uh, those, it's going to be one of those guys if Sushet goes. And you're right. Uh, he should probably go. All right. Next week, uh, not, not next week, Thursday, um, we will be talking about the Mets and the Nationals, uh, teams with more fantasy relevance than these two had today. Uh, thanks for your patience in waiting for this episode to get out. Due to the technical issues, uh, due to me not having flu, by the way, having pneumonia, uh, that's been a lot of fun. This, today's really been the best I've felt in about 10 days, so making progress slowly but surely. Uh, if you do have any questions about the Mets and the Nationals, please drop the comment uh, on there, and we'll get it into the show. Any final thoughts for the listeners, you know? No, man, I feel bad for you. I've had uh, pneumonia and bronchitis probably double-digit times in my life, and uh it's never any fun. So uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've had it. I, I had it a lot as a teenager, so I was a bit stunned by the diagnosis on Saturday. But when I couldn't breathe, I was like, I got to go in. Something's wrong. <laughs> so, so glad to hear right, better. And and I really, really, really hope that recorded. Yes, it better. If this didn't record, I'm going to go postal. <laughs> All right.